I spent about the next seven months or so trying to get a startup off the ground and just I didn't really get anywhere with it. I had the idea that like, oh, to be a startup, like I've just got to go raise money. And it was this idea that I was like looking around and saying, well, what, what do people say? They're like, oh, you need a co-founder. And I'm like, great. Hey, you want to be my co-founder? Like, Hey guys, my name is Ellie Feiner and this is Stop Building, where I do my best to get founders to set aside their IDE and find some users or even paying customers. Today I'm talking with Leo Gwinnon, who is building a customizable or even personalizable search engine. Let's see what he's got and where he can find some users. This is just my second episode, so I'm still, the podcast doesn't have a name. It has only a rough theme. I'm like, this is the kind of thing I want to figure out as I go. But in general, what seems to be happening is that we'll get to know each other a little bit and talk about our background, and then we'll dive into the business that you're working on right now and try to figure out together what a next step could be, like wherever it's not working. Excellent. Uh, So um, with that in mind, who is Leo? (laughs) Who is Leo? That's such a great question. So this is actually something that I've been trying to figure out for quite a while now. There was certainly a period of time when I described myself like, like as a software engineer, like tech guy, like that, that was my, it was my job, but also like really enjoyed it. And then during the pandemic, I realized that I wanted more than that. And I wasn't quite sure exactly where I wanted to go. And that's when I started exploring like the life of a content creator, started writing online, things like that. And one of the things I realized that I really wanted to do was to launch a startup. I had always worked at big companies and I just there was so much bureaucracy that I had to fight through. I tried to get something started at the company I was with, eventually got a meeting with a VP and they're like, yeah, we don't actually do anything like that. He goes, but let me tell you something. He goes, I come from a startup background. If you really think you have something, like you should just go for it. And so nice. I really quit my job the next day and I was like, I'm going to go for it. Quit and, your job the next day? Oh, yeah, wow. I, I really did feel like I had something at the time. And that was about the time that I also realized that I had no idea how to actually build a startup. It's a little more than building. Oh, that, that's it. And I spent about the next seven months or so trying to get a startup off the ground and just I didn't really get anywhere with it. I had the idea that like, oh, to be a startup, like I've just got to go raise money. That's what I saw everywhere. Everybody's talking about raising money, this. And I'm like, yeah, if they could do it, I can do it. Right. No, I didn't. <laughs> gave it a good shot. T- talked to quite a few VCs, did some pitch competitions, had a, found a co-founder that was not a good fit at all. We didn't work well together because, again, it was this idea that I was like looking around and saying, well, what, what do people say? They're like, oh, you need a co-founder. And I'm like, great. Hey, you want to be my co-founder? Let's do it. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Again, not a great approach. But yeah, after about seven months or so, I realized that it wasn't working. And so I ended up like shutting that down and taking a step back and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life at that point. And not too long after that, I actually um, ended up getting an interview with a company called Copy AI. And the funny thing about Copy AI is Copy AI was the startup I was following and going, oh, look at what they're doing. I could totally do that. They're making it look easy. Like I'm following their journey on Twitter. And so I ended up getting a job there as like engineer number four. And I've been there since 2021 now. And so a bit. But the nice thing is I'm actually able to learn what it takes to build a startup from an actual inside of a successful startup. Which is not what it looks like. It's a lot different than what from the outside. But the other thing is that they're really great about letting employees explore like outside of just their daily work and side projects are totally pretty much encouraged really, because, you know, there's this idea that entrepreneurship is a great quality to have. And so we filter for people who have that, even if they're not building out necessarily a startup of their own or raising money or whatever, but we want people who explore that. And yeah, so that brings us to today. And again, I'm still exploring the whole who am I question, but like I've got a podcast called How to Scale Yourself. I also just started a YouTube channel, write various places on the internet, a couple of blogs and things like that. And then I've just been building a whole bunch of different things culminating in my current product, which really, it goes back to the very initial idea I had with everything. And so it's called Choose Your Algorithm. And the idea is to really give people ownership over their internet experience. And so right now, I'm starting to build out 
the capabilities for people to build their own search engines. And so for that's their own the, personal use idea. Really, the idea is more of a shareable search engine. And so what you can do is you can actually share this out. So my hypothesis that I'm working from is that with the rise of all of these AI tools and everything that can write search optimized content much better, it comes down to really what sources you trust. And I think people are actually a great place to go for that level of trust. And so if you figure out like who's got the right filters in place, so you shrink the internet down to like just the content you care about, and then you can actually do some pretty neat composite things. But from the marketing standpoint, one of the things that I just realized is there, again, it's a hypothesis, but I believe that agency owners are actually potentially a really good market to start in because if I give them the ability to create this link that they can share with prospective clients that says, hey, like here's a search engine you can use that will tell you about various trends in this service that I'm offering and include portfolio projects, things like that. And you can also use that to get a lot of really good feedback from how people are using it. And so it's a, right now it's packaged up as like a search engine, like chatbot combo, because I want to com like combine that context. And so what they're looking for, and then, you know, figuring out how they're clarifying that. I feel like that's really useful data for the agency owner. Now, all of that has to be validated, but that's where it sits so far. That's, that's the, that's the crux. So it sounds like, like middle of the road between curated content, like a newsletter that just picks and someone picks and chooses bits of information and feeds feeds it to you and the more open-ended realm of a search engine or something like ChatGPT, where it's completely open it reminds me of this idea there's this idea in open democracy where or flat democracy where you don't actually have representatives that you choose you just say i trust this guy to vote in my stead on these topics. And then this guy says, I trust this other guy. And you have an hierarchy of people trusting other people across topics. And exactly. Um, and this, and that's, I trust you, Leo, in the space of whatever, I don't know, JavaScript frameworks, whatever. And I get your search engine or your kind of curated search engine on that topic. And when I search on that topic, I get, information from sources that you've curated so i don't get random bits interspersed with ads i get something cleaner that a person potentially with an interest maybe with even a some skin in the game getting paid for it a little bit has curated and that gives a completely different search engine or completely different experience of interacting with the web is that, do, am I understanding what where you're going with this? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the comparison to newsletters, I think is quite apt because one of the biggest issues with newsletters I see right now is people are recognizing that this is like a great way to build up an audience and build trust with an audience. But the result is that everybody has a newsletter and everybody's just like bombarding your email inbox. And so... It's this, and then all the email it's platforms like we have, are trying we had a to problem. More. We had a problem that we have a solution that we have two problems. Right, exactly. <laughs> two new problems. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think the idea is good because with an email list, you own that audience, which I think is incredibly important. But really, it's about building up that trust. And I think if you could show that you've put in the work to source information on various topics. I think that's enough to build up trust. I don't think you need to constantly be in their inbox to make sure that you're top of mind. And I think that we all need to back up a little and think about, is this actually like how we want to interact with each other? Because I think a lot of it's just like, everybody's focusing on, okay, how can I make my metrics go up? And so I'm going to do this and this. But the problem is when everybody does that, like, what happens to the user on the other end? And it's, I'm just overwhelmed now. I've got 50 emails because everybody's trying to like stay top of mind and then nobody's top of mind. So it really, it's like you're- everyone's fighting, everyone's fighting for that little bit of attention. Exactly. I want to go back to your project and how it looks from the perspective of not a project, but from a perspective of a business, right? Mm -hmm. From like the marketing, the where's the money coming from and so on. And the first thing I'm noticing is that 
this has some of the mechanics of a marketplace, right? There are providers of search engines or curators or whatever you want to call that, that define areas of expertise in certain places on the web where you would find these things. And then you have people who would use these things, right? One really important thing to note about a marketplace is that it's devilishly hard. If you take, if you build a SaaS that serves a certain group of people, that's that's playing the game on hard mode. That's like the basic hard mode because you still you need to figure out the product, the marketing, the sales, the pricing, the whole thing, the product market fit. The failure rate is pretty high in that space. If you take it to a marketplace of any sort, any situation where you have two sides, then that becomes like ultra hard mode or excruciating mode. Because now you not only do you need to have product market fit on both sides, you also need to have it at the same time in the same location. And you need a critical mass of both sides because in, in your case, you have enough of these um, custom special search engines so that people, when they come to look at what's possible, there's a list and it's valid and it's, it's interesting and it's significant. And on the other hand, you need people to come in order for the curators to be interested enough, right? If there's no audience, why would anybody put their time into building a curated search? And we're not even talking about money on others, either side. Like even just get the behavior of usage and creation on both sides is is difficult. So my question to you is, have you thought about this? So it's funny that you say that. I'm literally working on a blog post that I started over the weekend called The Marketplace of Attention, because that's how I view it, right? Because we've got everybody fighting for attention. And there's this idea that I've had of we're moving into what I like to think of like it's the transition from the creator economy into the expert economy. And so I think what this does is it really allows experts to prove their knowledge in a way that like is shareable. And so when I was thinking about this as a marketplace problem, that's actually why I settled on agencies as a great way to start. Because from that standpoint, I can work pretty closely with a few agencies, especially to get started and say, okay, here's what we can do with it. And we can build out a portfolio. We can build out some resources around the trends because the way that the agency model really works out well is these agency owners are experts in the trends. And so when you're talking about like a social media agency, they're understanding social media and they're able to keep up with all of those trends. But if you look at the broad marketplace that is the internet, you go to Google, it's okay, how are these rankings getting set? Are they, is this agency just paying for ads or whatever? Do they have paid affiliate agreements with people writing blog posts about ranking various agencies? Like it's all very hidden, right? And I think that's really where it comes in to be able to prove your expertise. And so as an agency owner, if I can present them with a link that they can share with people, it's like, I'm not trying to build the marketplace of like buyers and sellers in the marketplace. I'm like, I'm giving it to the seller who's already searching for buyers. And so my goal is to help them convert better. And so that's where I think the real advantage to seeding the marketplace will be, because then I can also build on that, like as I get agencies participating and trying it out and doing all of that, that's also building up the overall kind of search space that then it becomes interesting to potentially like outside users as well. And so, so it's going, that's... It's going to be on on the agency to bring in users to there. It's based on their existing audience. And they're already going out and searching for them, right? And so that's the thing. Yeah. They're already trying to find people. And so from that benefit, it's they're already talking to people. But then I think the added piece that I think is going to be key is that, that feedback mechanism. So as they hand out this link and people are searching and chatting with that information by giving that data back to the agency, it's, oh, you're, here's your prospective client and here's what they're looking for. And so now yes. you have this feedback, it's like a feedback loop. And so yeah. it's, it's essentially what Google does, except everything goes through Google 
And then you have to parse that out from the other data, right? And in this, there's at least this feedback mechanism that it's like both sides are understanding, hey, here's what you're doing. And I think being more transparent with that is it's a great way. And as a content creator, I think that's incredibly handy too. Because if I know that my audience is looking for things, then it's like, I know what content I can create, right? And so with my YouTube channel, like I'm creating content about building things with different AI libraries and so oh, people are looking for this. I use that. I can go ahead and create a video on that. And then it's, it's a really positive feedback loop, I think. And it's similar to what already exists. It's just more direct and it's taking out the middleman that is Google or even like social media in various aspects, right? Yeah. So in, in a marketplace, there's usually a hard side and an easy side or typically a hard side and an almost impossible side. Uh, and I'm not convinced that the hard side of this particular marketplace is the side that supplies the search engines. I am, we'll dive into both, but I am curious to see what are the incentives of people, consumers basically, to use a curated search engine. And the reason I'm concerned about this is that even when information gets shoved down people's throats, they resist it. Like we just start, we started this conversation with people just have their inboxes overflowing with information. And there are lots of choices today to go in and find information. And I'm thinking of something like, even like Wikipedia and Stack Overflow, like huge sites with lots of content, very specialized. And still, I don't think that going on either of those sites and searching for your answers there is the typical behavior. I think the typical behavior is something question and Stack Overflow or Reddit or Wiki, right, to get the answer. So I think there's a, there's a lot of ingrained behavior in the consumer space that the shift of going to a specific link in order to search for a particular type of information, this is this was fairly common in, I don't know, 97 or 98 when the internet was really fragmented and you would use multiple search engines and you would go to specific sites to find specific bits of information. But because of the prevalence of Google in the last, what, 20 years, everything coalesced around Google maybe for some people around Bing, like half a percent, but in general, like a single main search engine. So I'm wondering what, it's just, it's a deep change in behavior. And a deep change in behavior requires usually a very, it need it requires more than a benefit. It requires like a burning, unsolvable problem that just can't be solved in any other way. And so the thing is, I think that we're going to have that. And the reason for that is, again, it goes back to this idea that AIs can produce search engine optimized content way faster than people even realize at this point. And I've seen it firsthand. And so what people are going to realize, and they've already started to realize this to some extent, but there's less and less trust in Google search results. And so you see people using things like TikTok as a search engine, YouTube as a search engine, and all of that. And so they are already exploring various options based on a lot of times either their favorite platforms or their favorite kind of creators within those platforms, I think, to some extent, maybe not as much as I think we'll see. But in terms of changing the behavior, that's actually why I decided to start with this idea that I assume with the agencies, it's like they're incentivized to try to get people to engage in this behavior. And then their clients, again, an assumption, is looking for someone to help solve this problem. They're, it's a problem that they have. And so if if they want information about that problem, they're likely to use it. So as I've looked around what agency owners do, a lot of times they will create a bunch of content. Maybe they'll have different smaller products that people could buy if they wanted. So they've already done a lot of this work of curating sources, creating content about the problem because they want people to be able to find that content, right? And so in this way, it allows them to package up all of that into a single box 
and then just hand it off to the user who's trying to solve this problem, ideally, and say, yeah, I know the internet's big, right? But here it all is. Here's everything you need to know. Search through it, chat with it. Uh, and then if you're interested in moving forward, like I'm happy to help. And so it's like a, it's a more advanced lead magnet, right? Instead of a yeah. PDF checklist that you can download and then never look at. And I say this because I do that all the time. It's like, oh yeah, that sounds cool. And I was like, I download it. I'm on an- we even pay for PDF checklists, right? So oh, this right. is a neat thing. I'll pay $10 for it and you never look at it again. Exactly. And it's because it's just, it's this static document. And I think we're getting to a place where the internet is changing so rapidly. It's anything static just gets left behind very quickly. And so with these, as you develop links as well, the nice thing is like, they can continue to grow as you add information into this search space. The person with the link doesn't have to change anything on their end. And so it's like free updates on their end by just giving them this link. But then ultimately, I think the change in behavior is when people like start to use these from various sources and then can actually just combine all of these different search engines that people have created on various things into a single search for themselves. Meta meta search engine, yeah. And so it's their own personal search engine that goes out to all of these different trusted search engines based on whatever they've decided. And so this ability to just use all these different building blocks to create that internet experience that you want, um, I I think is going to be really key to getting people to change that behavior. But yeah, yeah, that's far enough away that it's, we'll see how all that goes. But that's the game plan for the next five, 10 years or so. Yeah. Have you talked to agencies? Do you have any feedback from agencies in the wild? Not as of yet. I'm working on that right now. This is this was literally just a revelation that came to me yesterday. And so this is very new because I've talked to users from like a few different areas because I see creators essentially already building this stuff up in like Notion databases or whatever. And they use that kind of as the basis for their content. But I don't think they're necessarily as willing to like pay for something like that. It's like, I've already got what I need. I, I don't think it's a big enough shift for them to like add in another layer of something that they have to learn. They see how the creative landscape is and they're just going to stick with that for now. I am actually going to do a pilot with a realtor who's, it's more of the like end user of the agency, I think at this point, but they, it's a new realty agency and they've got multiple blogs around like one is like dog friendly parks in the area and they take their dog around to these different parks and check them out. And then that's part of their content strategy. And then they've got one where it's a family who owns this realty company. And so like they go out to dinner at different restaurants and review it. And so they've got the Yelp aspect and then they've got some home buying tips or whatever. And so I'm going to be working with them to build out the, this, you know, customized solution that can hopefully help as people are searching for information. So, oh, hey, you're interested. Here's a link. And as they're looking at properties, potentially, oh, in this area, here's a blog I wrote about restaurants in the area, your dog-friendly parks, once you figure out if they have a dog or not. And so that's going to be an exploration around the idea of taking that, like, search context and chat context, potentially, and, like, using that to help qualify leads and build up that relationship so that when the person like does actually contact the realtor directly, it, there, there's more trust between the two parties because it's, oh, yeah, we see what you're doing here. They're, we really focus on kind of the human element of that. And it's taking what they're doing, like with the dogs and the restaurants and everything and combining that with the actual kind of like sales experience. But agencies, I'm still, I'm planning on reaching out to a few here in the next day or two. I'm building something I can use to just easily put together a sample, like based on what their agency does. And so I can do that and then show them a link and like, Hey, this is what I'm building. I'd love for you to check it out. A short explanation and like, you know, try it. Let me know what you think. Um, so I wanted to reflect on your realtor project actually. Yeah. Because that seems to have a very specific well-understood use case and reason because the agencies you're talking about you're talking about social media agencies you're talking about there are lots of different agencies marketing agencies and that seems to be for lack of a better word vague at this point it's an hypothesis and even as an hypothesis it's kind of vague but what you're telling about the realtor project even though it's like it's a customized project for one shop it's like the their own thing and it's an extension of what they already do 
the reasons just for me as an outsider listening from the outside, that makes a lot more sense because as a potential client of the realtor is exploring their website and is looking at properties, the ability to get a broader context of what that property is and where it is and what kind of things are around it and even have a chat conversation where you can ask things that are not immediately obvious because there's no way to present all the possible things that people might be interested in on a single screen while they're looking at a piece of property. But but a chat embedded there where you could, with some starting examples, that sounds to me like, I don't know if it's useful for the people who are using, who are looking for real estate as much, but I think it's a compelling thing to offer to realtors because and one of the reasons is that our world the dev world the indie hacker world the twitter world is ablaze with all these chat gpt clones for mm-hmm. all those different uses but honestly realtors are usually like five to seven years behind on on technology adoption and it's a very interesting niche to take that tech into. And that is something that it wasn't quite expected. And so it was funny. I was going through this. <laughs> the best um, things never are. <laughs> and that, that's how it worked out. I was doing this program called the Customer Learning Lab. And the whole idea is it's early stage companies who learn about surveying users and like interviewing people and things like that. And actually somebody in the program I was chatting with like about his product and he's like, hey, I, yeah, I've got this woman who's, I don't know. And again, this comes down to the fact that I'm still not great at concisely explaining what it is I'm offering. It's like, I, it's this, I, I see the potential for it, but getting people to understand it enough to actually try it out is a challenge. But he's, so he's, but I, I've got this woman that I, if, I think she'd be willing to chat. Like she's starting a realty company and I know that they've got like a content strategy. I'd love to make that introduction. And so that's actually where that came from. And so I started chatting with her about the ideas of, you know, how to integrate that in, because one of the things that I found really fascinating about this whole thing is that most realty companies die within the first two years. And the reason for that is because the vast majority of property sales come through established networks. And so if you can't build up enough of a network of people that you've sold to in that first two years, you don't have enough to actually sustain the company beyond that. And so it leads to this fall off. And I thought that was like, for me, that is a very fascinating case study for it because one of the things that I really want to focus in on is how do you build trust online? And I think like with social media and Google, it's like they, they tend to be they teach us to trust things like less and less, right? As people are like paying for spots and then it's like you start to like really see how the sausage was made, if you will. And it's it's all these like paid agreements. Then it's, well, how do I trust any of these results now? And so I think figuring out the this trust model and looking at it from the standpoint of like how trust is established like within social networks, meaning connections between people, not like social networking platforms. I think is is really intriguing to me. I'm curious to see how this goes. And I don't I I don't know how much it's going to actually be used, how useful it's going to be, if they're actually going to care about the data they get. But I think doing that from the standpoint of at least I, I could see how this data can be useful. So I analyze the data for them essentially and say, hey, like here's what I'm seeing in the data. But it's a matter of getting them to use it and getting them getting other people to use it. And I'm just listening to you. I'm noticing. I've been a developer for 25 years too, right? We developers tend to do this really interesting thing where we climb a ladder of abstractions and we do Mm -hmm. it really quickly because As engineers, we are trained and we train others to think in abstract terms, in generic terms, in things that are reusable, in things that have multiple uses. And you can use this thing in all these different ways. And we're used to talking in abstractions. We're used to think in meta and and in meta. That's the way we, that's the way the best software is built, right? That's how good code is. 
the problem with this is that it's the absolute opposite of how good businesses are built. Right. Because most of the population, they don't care about abstractions. They don't care about the underlying philosophy. They don't care about how these things could be reused in all these different ways. They care about specific particular use case that either resolves their pain or gives them an answer to their desire or solves a problem or something like that in a very specific way. And what I see across the board, and dude, it's true for me as much as it is true for you, is that we come up with these generic solutions and then we find it really hard to explain to everyday people. And the best example from the last few years is crypto, or as we, the tech people, call it blockchain. Now, when you think about how typically blockchain blockchain is explained, it's explained from the bottom up. You see there are these hashes that connect these blocks and it's a distributed thing and it, and, you know, and it's an immu- immutable ledger of records. Like By the time you get to where and how it could be useful, even in like in articles and books, it becomes extremely vague. And the reason it's vague is because as engineers, we see a sea of possibility and that's enough because we also trust ourselves that, well, given a specific problem, we can use this meta abstract layer to figure out a particular solution to this particular problem, but we don't want to limit our discussion and our thinking to a particular problem. Mm. And in terms of marketing, in terms of business, in terms of sales, that's a really bad idea because people like in general don't get it. They don't understand what we're talking about when what we see in our mind's eye is the sea of possibility. So as I'm listening to you talking about the customizable search engines, the ability of different actors to create their own search engines, the ability of different consumers to to use different search engines to find different bits of information. Those are all abstract terms. Now, and you also go one level higher, like, well, then a person can combine multiple search engines from different providers to create their own personal search engine. And because I'm a techie, I totally understand what you're saying. And I know what possibilities this opens up. But I also, because I'm also writing the other side, I'm like, there's no way in hell you can sell this because that's just it. And that's why I've really stopped myself from doing a lot of the building until I start. Until you figure out. Exactly. And when you started talking about the realtor project, which is, it's like a 10th of a percent of the whole vision that you have, but it's specific. It's easy to explain. And the hypothesis is something you can discuss with actual realtors. The hypothesis here is if we add an AI chat to your real estate listings, will people come back to your website more often as the source of truth and the source of the best information for real estate in your particular area? Is that going to help? And based on their own perception of technology and kind of their sense, they may say yes or no. And it doesn't even matter if it's actually going to help people stay or not. Because from a business perspective, since you're selling a service to a realtor, the only thing you need is their perception of whether it's going to help or not. Later on, you will have some statistic and you can say, you know what, I actually have numbers. People spend 47% more minutes on the website if there's a thing there. and But early on, you're looking for early adopters, right? You're looking for people who are in the real estate business, but who have heard about ChatGPT and started wondering, wait a second, how can this help me? And then you come around and this is how this can help you. I figured out a way where this can help. Now, the benefit of this is that when you have a really narrow hypothesis like that, it takes three conversations, maybe five conversations to invalidate it. You have five conversations, no one's no one's telling you, take my money, then there's nothing there. It's not that, right? You need a different hypothesis. 
But within those five conversations, you either find, you usually find something kind of adjacent. This is not going to work, but this other thing, which is three degrees to the left, is actually might work and might be worth a lot of money. For example, realtor, like big realtor organizations might have a problem with just responding to people. Like lots and lots and lots of questions, very few sales, and they just don't want to answer these questions. You put a chatbot, a good effective chatbot on their website, it just saves them a lot of time and a lot of, maybe even a lot of money for these responses. I don't know if it's a problem, but it's a different hypothesis. It's a few degrees mm-hmm. to the left of our original hypothesis, and it deserves its own its own testing. The core thing here, though, is that the big, magical, world-changing, philosophy-shattering idea of personalized search engines is probably not something you need to be talking about to people who are not techies. You right. explain this to me, I'm like, Leo, this is freaking awesome. This is beautiful. Also, there's no way in hell you can build it by yourself, right? This is this is taking on Google. It's going to be a big thing. It's going to require resources, people. It's not a solo project, and it's not going to pay your bills in the foreseeable future. But when you out of this beautiful big picture, you find a tiny slice of something with, a, with actual people, actual customers, with money to spend, and it resonates, then it's, I like the metaphor of starting a fire. If you put a bunch of wood and you use a blow dryer on the wood, you're not going to be able to start a fire, even though you're putting a lot of energy in it. It's just not going to work. You need a little bit of tinder and you need the heat concentrated on a match and then you can light it up. It's a tiny little thing and then you add things to it. So that's the very narrow niche hypothesis. For example, a chatbot on a real estate website that could start that fire and later on could expand to this, the whole vision of curated search engines that you're talking about. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, yeah, it totally does. And that's, yeah, that, that's what I've been working and exploring a bit. Still trying to narrow it down a bit more, but I like the idea of focusing in even on just that like specific use case. And once I have that in place, extending it to the other conversations, because I think the idea of the three to five conversations to validate or invalidate the hypothesis, I think is definitely helpful there. Yeah, yeah. And and the obvious two next steps here is one, follow through with that real estate Mm -hmm. company and actually build something with them. Ideally, get paid for it too. Because it's funny, we talk about validation and invalidation a lot in our circles, but there's no validation until you have money in, in, in your hand. Everything else is just uh, is just kindness. So that's it's the hard part. That. Right? That's the uh, that's really where it where it comes in. And th- this is something that that I've played with in, in various products, and I've shut a couple down because like I was able to get people using them, but like nobody wanted to like pay for them. And then I did eventually get one product that made, I don't know, I think it made like 150 bucks or something, which was good. I was good. like, all right, I was able to take a problem and narrow it down. And then Twitter screwed me over when they did their whole <laughs> API change. And I was like, all right, that's going away. <laughs> but, but it's a valuable, it's a valuable lesson because there is a profound right. difference between someone who built things that people used for free and someone who built things that someone was actually willing to pay for. There's, it's like, it's a completely different experience. And then you've, and then what we typically learn is that the people who are using stuff for free are just not the same people who are paying for things. No, it's not just about the product. It's not like your product is good enough or not good enough. It's about, it's about the people. And there's, again, there's this common idea that selling to consumers is excruciatingly hard and selling to businesses is a lot easier. And the reason for that is that businesses are, like run businesses, are typically okay with the concept of investment, which means they're Mm -hmm. happy to pay for things that will create ROI in the future, right? You Spend money to make money, basically. This idea of spending money to make in order to make money is very typical in business. 
it does not exist with consumers who are either employees who cannot make more money by spending money. They just can't. Right. They have absolutely no influence on how much money they make. It's part of the reason we're all trying to become entrepreneurs, right? Because to have that influence. But if you're an employee, you don't like, maybe you get a raise, right? Maybe you get a bonus. You have very little influence on either. And definitely spending money is not going to help you. So the basic consumer state of mind is I'm going to spend money on things I want if I have money. And when mm -hmm. that kind of employee becomes uh, an early stage entrepreneur or creator, the mindset remains, right? It's like I talk to, I do like marketing consulting and I talk to many freelancers and what you're offering. And I offered courses and, and coaching and stuff like that. And 95% of the time, what I hear from entrepreneurs, like starting entrepreneurs is my, my project is not making enough money for me to justify paying you. And I'm like, this is, dude, <laughs> this is not how it works, right? This is not how it works. You don't first succeed with your product and then get a coach to succeed with your product. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. You always need to take that leap. So that's there's a profound difference between selling to businesses who already get that or people who are see themselves as a business versus people who don't. And that's the reason why it's so hard to get paid for things we build. Because we are all the indie hackers, this entire world, we are all consumers in our minds as well. And we build things for consumers because we build things for people like us. And when we build things for people like us, we typically don't notice the fact that we are really stingy ourselves. We're not happy to pay for products, even if it's 10 or $15 a month, which is not a crazy amount, but maybe I can do it myself. Maybe I can set up some, some open source on some server somewhere. I'll hack around it, do a little bit of DIY. Why should I pay someone else to do this for me? And that's a really big transition we'll need to go through. So instead of selling to people like us, we need to be selling to people like the people we want to be. And then right. it becomes a lot easier. Yeah, I've definitely found that in my own experience. And there have been times when it's, I'll just build that myself. That's probably better than you know, spending 20 bucks a month on it. And then it's okay, there's six weeks down that I could have been actually like building a, something, creating value for somebody that I instead I'm doing this. So it, it is funny how much of a transition that is. And I've definitely gotten to the point now where I'm putting money in to, to try to get things started. And it's like figuring out how to actually capitalize on that investment is the next step for me because uh, yeah, it's okay. Now I've got things going a little bit. I've got an idea of where things sit and I've done this enough. And so now it's okay. I got to, uh, again, get back away from the building a bit and like actually go out and sell it to people. And it's like, there's, exactly. a, there's enough here that you should be able to like sell it. It's just a matter of going out and doing that, which is <laughs> exactly. It's becoming a trend in these conversations that I'm having where the most important advice I can give to people is stop building. Just <laughs> stop building <laughs> because building is not going to get you anywhere. That's the first thing. The second thing is you already know how to build, right? It's not a question of whether you can build it. It's just a question of hours put in. There's a very linear progression from knowing what you need to build over all the way out to it's built and released. Most of the people like you and me, experienced software developers can build anything within a certain realm, but it's not a, it's not a question. Finding something worth building selling it, getting paid, marketing, scaling, all these things are completely unknown. So 99% of the time we're building as a form of procrastination because everything else is unknown, but we do know how to build. So we're like, if I build it and it's beautiful, then when I show it, they will buy it. But that's not how it works.
So it helps it when you actually show it. And a lot of times, and I'm speaking totally for myself here, it's like, I'll just build it and then never actually put it in front of people. You know it's what? like I talk about it and I expect people to like go play with it themselves, but it's, no, it's... like I need to sit down and be like, use this while I'm watching so I can see what you're doing. Let me know if it... Um... And even that, I would argue that you don't need to show anything. At the early stage you're at, you don't need to show anything. Because once you show something, the conversation is about what you've built. And when the conversation is about what you've built, it stops being about what they need. And when it stops being about what they need, you, you'll you never figure out what they would pay for. The only thing you would hear when you talk, when you show someone something, the only thing you would hear are feature requests that are not even real. It's people trying to be kind and brainstorming with you what could, like pulling from other sources and other apps they've seen, what could be useful to other people within the context of what you've built. But you miss out on the most important thing you actually are interested in. Would you pay 50 bucks a month for this? This is the actual question. And would you pay 50 bucks a month for this is never about the solution. It's always about the problem. So as developers, we spend so much time in the solution space that we don't even notice we skip the problem because, you know, that's our job. You see a problem, boom, there's a solution. You see another problem, boom, there's a solution. And if there's no solution, it's Stack Overflow and now there's a solution or ChatGPT and now there's a solution. We just... We don't spend time in the problem space because we're not interested in it. But transitioning to entrepreneurs, spending time in the problem space is what we need to do. So when I say stop building, I also mean don't go into these conversations with a URL to show something. Go into these conversations with some pre-tab. I'm exploring how to improve the real estate market or I've been looking for a house and I encountered this and this problem and I'm talking to realtors to see if this is a common enough problem to build a business to fix, right? You go into these conversations with a completely different excuse versus I built something, I want to show you. And then when you go into a conversation with this mindset and excuse of exploring the problem, then you have other conversations. You know, you may have a conversation about their business, about their life, about their kids, about whatever. And you have you have your solution ears perking up, like where are problems that require solving? And then you get these serendipitous things where like, wait a second, I never considered realtors to be a potential target market for this thing. Maybe there's something there. And then when you hone in on a problem that's worth solving, and these people that you're talking to are saying, yes, this is a big problem. Yes, this is worth money. Yes, I'm spending $5,000 a month on this. Of course, I'll pay $50 to solve it. And you have, like we said, like three to five conversations and you hear the same thing over and over again. Then you can even close a presale. You can say, you know what? I'm going to build this. But in order for me to be convinced that it's worth building, I would like for you to have some skin in the game. How about you pay me for three months, right? 50 bucks times three, $150. You put $150 down. I'm going to collect this from five people, not because I need the money, because I want to be convinced that what I'm building is actually necessary. And then I'll build it and you'll have the chance to participate and guide the building. So it really, you basically get a custom development project for the cost of, whatever, a nice meal at a restaurant. And that's validation. That's actual, real. You're solving a problem that exists, not only in your mind, but in someone else's mind who has the money and the desire to pay for it. I like that a lot. It's different, right? It's not like, it's yeah, not like the building that will come approach. And it is funny because like for the, the, interview with the realtor 
that that was essentially how that was approached. Didn't like, didn't do any product demos. It was really about understanding like how she was approaching like her content strategy and how they were trying to be discovered online and that online aspect of the business. Right. And so that was really how that came out. And then it's, Oh, here's what I'm doing. And it's, Oh yeah, actually like that does align really well, I think with how that's set up. And so that's, that, that's a good point that, because again, like going back to the, like the mindset is, Oh great. Like I got just enough. Like now I build something and then show people like, no, like you don't you stop building. Stop building. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that that is yeah, it is funny how like yeah slamming the idea of building into our brains for so long it's really hard to get out of that mindset. And even when you think you get out of it, it's like you go right back to it. Like first opportunity, it's like all right, time to build. I'm like no, no, back up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that changes everything because then instead of being a developer who's trying to become an entrepreneur, you become an entrepreneur with development skills. And personally, I found out that for me to make the transition, I needed to make the decision that I'm not going to code at all, ever. If I'm going to build a software product, I'm going to need to find a way for someone else to code it, either as a partnership or get some funding and have some pay for someone to build it. Because once I start building, I lose that perspective. And I've been doing marketing and sales consulting in that space for three years. So I'm, I think that I've made the transition fully. But when I fire up the ID, I'm <laughs> right, where, right back where I started. I'm imagining features. I'm thinking in abstraction. I'm like, oh, this is going to be useful for this. And this is going to be useful for that. It's so awesome. I'm just going to build a little more and then I'm going to show it to people. It's just so easy to fall back into that, into that mindset. And so hard to stay above it. I'm like, I'm a business. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'm not a coder. There's lots of stuff going on in the business. And most of them are conversations. The work is talking. That's the truth. Thanks for listening. If you want to be a guest on the show and talk through the problems you're facing with your business, you can send me a message on Twitter at FinerElly. My DMs are always open. And if you're ready for some deeper work, I can actually help you find product market fit for whatever it is you're building. You can find details about how this works, how much it costs, and what I can promise you on my website at growthlab.so. See you next time.